Good morning. How you guys doing? Uh, let me let me start with a bit of prayer. Uh, please bow your heads with me, Father. Uh, God, I know uh, we're about to uh, look at a passage on prayer. Uh, we've been through a week of prayer, uh, and so, Lord, I just feel keenly aware of what's always true, uh, that if I were to stand up here apart from your spirit, uh, nothing more than a motivational speech at best could be given. And so I pray for your spirit to, um, to speak to us, God, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, <clears throat> we're going to start this morning with the story of a moody teenager. <laughs> It'll be fun, I promise. They're not all moody, I know it's a stereotype, but this one was, uh, it's not me. Uh, This boy had grown up in a Christian home, uh, but around the age of 15, he was kind of bored of that, and uh, this was before, this is in the early 1800s, so before labor laws, at least the modern ones that we have, so at 15, he got a job at a bank. And it was around that, around that time he started actually openly mocking the faith, um, was kind of done with uh, Christianity, and was really wanting to just pursue a life of luxury, wanted to make a lot of money and live very comfortably. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't want to really follow the Lord, follow Christ, even though he had known the truth in, in growing up. But at 17, he was let go. He lost that job, and it kind of threw him for a loop. And so he was spending more and more time at home, and he was just not fun to be around. He was despondent, short-tempered, inwardly and sometimes outwardly rebelling against his parents, especially him and his dad really butt heads. And it was around this time, his parents took a trip. I don't think it was just to get away from him. They actually had um, (laughs) things to do. They took a trip, uh, but he stayed back at home. And his mother, who had already been praying consistently for her son for many years, as I'm sure many of you mothers do, uh, she had recently decided to up her game. And so she was praying longer and more earnestly for him. And on this particular trip, she decided she was going to do something a little bit radical. And so she locked herself in a room and uh, made the commitment that she was going to pray until really she couldn't pray any longer, until she was sure that she had given it everything she had and that God had heard her prayers. And so that's exactly what she did. And for hours and hours, she pled for God to have mercy on her son, just praying for him, praying for him, praying for her heart towards him. And she kind of reached the end and just had this, the way she writes it, it's like this overwhelming sensation or feeling or the Holy Spirit or what have you came over her that God had indeed heard. And not only heard, but answered uh, the request for her son. And so she started praising. Okay, so back home, the boy is just wandering around bored. Like I mentioned, this is early 1800s, so he doesn't have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You know, this is the good old days. And so... He's just wandering around looking for something to do and he wanders into his father's library or study and he's, he's looking for a book to read and book after book that he pulls off the shelf is just boring, boring, boring and then he comes across this little uh, like gospel tract, like a little booklet titled Poor Richard and he read it and 
you know, like I mentioned, he had grown up in a, a Christian home. He'd heard about Jesus and all that. Um, but the phrase, the finished work of Christ, was in the pamphlet, and it just hit him like a bolt of lightning. And he understood in that moment everything that had been taught to him, but at that moment is when it kind of got into his heart. And he became convinced that Jesus had done everything necessary to reconcile him to God. And he says, um, he says there's, there's nothing left to do other than to praise this God and to give myself wholeheartedly to serve him. And so it was a very dramatic conversion experience, definitely like a light on the road kind of conversion story. Uh, this boy, his name is Hudson Taylor. He, if you know the name, uh, he, this teenage Moody Hudson Taylor grew up to be a man of deep faith, uh, a man through whom God did some really incredible stuff. Uh, in fact, many Christians today uh, could probably trace their spiritual lineage back to the influence of Hudson Taylor in some way. If you don't know who he was, he was a missionary to China in the 19th century. In fact, he founded what was then called the China Inland Mission. It wasn't the first mission organization to be working in China, but it was the first one to try to reach the interior. Uh, the gospel had never been there yet. And uh, many hundreds and thousands, and I would include myself in this number, uh, have been challenged, uh, convicted, and, and very encouraged by his example of faith and obedience. In fact, the uh, mission organization that he founded, it still exists today. It's under a new name, but it is still sending missionaries into the darkest places of Eastern Asia where the gospel has not been heard. Uh, Hudson Taylor was, in every sense of the phrase, a spiritual giant, um, but it was not always so. Had his mother not prayed for him, many of us probably would have no idea who he was. He would just be another nameless person lost to history. This is, but this is not the only story. There are innumerable stories of God answering prayer and working towards prayer. I could have done an introduction uh, telling you about David Wilkerson and praying for the, the inner city kids who were part, becoming parts of the gangs of New York. I could tell you about um, Brother Andrew smuggling Bibles into communist countries. There are tons of stories of God doing miraculous things through prayer. And there are tons of stories that none of us know and none of us could read about because they, they've just been lost to history. But time and again, we see the truth uh, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And God, uh, for reasons that he sees best, decides to work through prayer. That's just how he does it. And so this morning, um, this is the final day in our week of prayer. We've spent the last seven days as a congregation trying to um, intentionally focus on prayer. And so I want to end it by putting before us uh, a person in the Bible who was a man of prayer, an example for us to hopefully encourage us. His name uh, might be unfamiliar to many of you. He's not uh, well known. His name is Epaphras. Um, he only is mentioned three times throughout the whole Bible, so not a lot of page space. But uh, if you would, if you've got a Bible or an app on your phone, you can open it to Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse 12. And this is the passage that tells us the most about him. It's also going to be on the screen and in your worship folders. Here it is, Colossians 4, chapter 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. 
He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I can vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. So those are our two verses. The sermon is titled, Why Epiphras is Awesome. We're going to look at who he was, why he was awesome, and what we can learn from him. So first, like I mentioned, in terms of who he was, like I mentioned, we don't know a ton. There's not a lot of material written on him. Uh, He was almost certainly a convert of Paul's. So he probably grew up in a town called Colossae, and he was in Ephesus for whatever reason. Work, decided to move there, whatever it was. He was in Ephesus when the Apostle Paul came through, and he heard the gospel from Paul, became a believer, In all likelihood, he spent uh, months or years being discipled and mentored by uh, possibly Paul or some other believers in that town, and then he went back to his hometown, Colossae, and evangelized or witnessed, told people the good news about Jesus. None of the people he had grown up with had heard it, and so he shared the gospel and he planted a church, uh, the church that this book is written to. He probably did the same thing in the neighboring towns of Laodicea and Hierapolis. Now, if those, that all sounds very, just weird, weird town names. Uh, but to give you an idea, it, think of it at like Vancouver, Ridgefield, and Camas. Okay, three towns really close together. They form this little triangle uh, in what's called the Lycus Valley. The point is that the people reading this, they would have known who Epaphras was. In fact, many of them were believers in Jesus because he had told them who Jesus was. And so there's a tight connection there. Uh, We also know that Epaphras was a friend, a companion of Paul's. He would travel with him to different towns and he would work with him. Very faithful. So faithful, in fact, that uh, when others would ditch Paul when hardships came, Epaphras uh, stuck it through. There's mention of him being in prison with Paul for their faith in the book of Philemon, which is a little bit later. That's one of the very few other parts where he's mentioned. And finally, most people believe Epaphras is the reason we have the book of Colossians. In all likelihood, he was visiting the church that he had planted, um, trying to encourage the believers there, and then went back to Paul and kind of reported how things were going, and it was in response to that report that he wrote the book of Colossians. So if you've ever read the book of Colossians and gotten anything out of it, uh, then you have, in part, Epaphras to thank. That's pretty much all we know. Coworker of Paul, evangelist, church planter, all-around good guy. Everything we see in the Bible about him, which admittedly is not much, is giving him a thumbs up. Everyone likes him. But why is he awesome? Epaphras is awesome simply because he is a man of prayer. Paul wrote a number of letters in the Bible, and he's mentioned a lot of people who traveled with him, who are friends, but Epaphras is the only one who is explicitly commended for his ministry of prayer. None other. And so he kind of stands a little bit aside from the crowd in that sense. So let's look exactly what Paul says about him in verse 12. So after it says that he says hi, he sends greetings, the next sentence here is that he is always wrestling in prayer for you. That phrase wrestling in prayer is a little weird. 
In fact, here's a tip for you. If you're ever trying to study a passage of scripture or if you're ever planning to share it with someone or teach it, it's a good idea to read it in a couple different English translations. And if some of the major ones like differ on a word or a phrase, that's like a metal detector beeping telling you there's something here, you should dig in. And even if you don't know original like Greek or whatever, that's fine. There are tons of uh, commentaries that will um, tell you what's happening. Uh, the word here is translated a number of ways. Um, almost no two translations are the same. Some say he's striving in prayer, that he's laboring earnestly in prayer. Uh, the translation I'm using says he's wrestling. Others say struggling in prayer, or that he's laboring fervently. One says he's tireless in his prayers. Uh, the word that's used is in other places used to talk about like physical combat or competition. So like public wrestling matches or stage fights or even sometimes physical fights. It's a pretty forceful and strong word that has to do with kind of tough physical combat. It means hard work. You put your back into it and when you're done, there's blood, sweat, and tears. Think of a stinky college football locker room after a game. Okay, people are out of breath, they're tired, they're sweaty. That's the kind of praying Epaphras is doing. He's, this is not light. He's, he's going big or going home. And so what I want to look at real quick is what does it look like to actually wrestle in prayer? What does it look like to pray like that? And I can think of at least three things. There are, I'm sure there are more. Uh, but first... Uh, wrestling in prayer means praying in faith. If, if we're going to follow the analogy of wrestling, it's that we're wrestling against our own unbelief. Anyone who has truly, really tried to grow in your prayer life, to be diligent and consistent, and you've probably been discouraged in it, right? Because there are times when it seems boring, it seems like nothing's happening, you have this nagging doubt that all you are is an idiot talking to the air, I mean, have any of you felt that way? I mean, you are wrestling against unbelief. And you know, prayer, it's not, like, <laughs> it's not like Instagram or Facebook or whatever where you post something and within minutes or even seconds, you get a response. It's not like sending an email or a text where the most you have to wait is like a day, usually, maybe less. You oftentimes will have to wait for quite a while, maybe the rest of your life, before you see an answer to that prayer and it will appear as if nothing is happening. And so it can be really easy to believe that prayer is not doing anything. And so we have to wrestle against this unbelief. We have to remind ourselves of what the scriptures teach. Jesus told us that, that God is a good father. He hears us, he listens, and he gives us good things. He's pleased to give us good things. And James says that when we pray, we have to believe and not doubt. Because a person who is doubting while they're praying that God's not even there, he says that person, they're like a wave. The wind blows that way, that's where the wave's going. The wind blows that way, that's where the wave's going. That person's unstable in all that he does. And so James is telling us, you've got to have an anchor of faith to hold your prayers. So if any of you are feeling like, well, I don't know if I pray in faith. I, I've been struggling with this lately. Let me encourage you. You can pray in faith, not because of you or how great your prayers are, but because of Jesus. 
Jesus has bought you a hearing with God. He has opened the way so that you can now approach the throne of grace. And when you present requests to God, it is on his account. And Christ looks at those requests, if it's in line with Christ's will and if it's in his name, it's as if Jesus himself lays those requests before God. It's not on your righteousness, not on how cool you are or what, how early in the morning you wake up or whatever it is. It's based on the righteousness of Christ that you are praying. And because of that, you can be guaranteed that God is listening. So if you're a believer in Jesus, God hears your prayers. He's not ignoring you. He's not putting you on hold indefinitely like some very obnoxious like IT help center, okay? <laughs> you are being listened to. Second, so to wrestle in prayer is to pray in faith. Second, to wrestle in prayer is to pray consistently. Look again at what Paul says. He says that he is always wrestling in prayer for you. Always. All the time. This is not a passing fancy. It's not a short-lived New Year's resolution. Um, Epiphras, he probably prays like he eats. Every day, several times a day. He is consistent. Praying, praying, praying. One of the things that we're wrestling against when we wrestle in prayer is the feeling of apathy and boredom. For the same reasons I mentioned beforehand that it can be easy to sort of doubt that it's working, well, if you start kind of operating on that mindset, why would you keep doing something that you feel is meaningless? And so then you start to, it becomes very easy to give up, very difficult to maintain something you see no value in. And so we find very um, conveniently placed things to do Uh, Well, I can't pray until I make my coffee. I can't pray until this. I can't pray until I do that. And we just put it off, put it off, put it off, making excuses that you know deep down you're just avoiding it. We procrastinate. And I'm not just telling you. This is convicting to me as well. We're fighting against that distraction, that procrastination. Now, part of this isn't really all that spiritual at all. I, this might sound a little bit weird, but a lot of people make prayer, in my experience, a lot of people make prayer a lot more mystical and strange than it actually is. There is, in some ways, in some ways you can think of prayer just like any other habit, and you can form it and use the force of habit in your favor. And so, just getting, to try to give you some practical tools if you want to grow in consistency, do it like you would any other habit. Set a time of day, Do something doable, like five uninterrupted minutes before meals. That's when I'm going to pray. And then you just commit to doing that every day. And you know what? After about 30 days, it becomes significantly easier. There are other things working against you, like your own sinful tendencies and the devil and things like that. But, you know, if you just use the force of habit, it can become significantly simpler. And so don't try to make it like a, a weirder, more mystical, harder thing than it already is. Um, to break consistently is, is, is to form a habit just like dieting or working out or many other things that you kind of do almost automatically. So, to wrestle in prayer is to pray in faith, to pray consistently. And the third thing, to wrestle in prayer is to pray strenuously. By strenuously, what I mean is that your heart is in it. You pray like it matters. You mean it. Uh, The Puritans had a phrase, they said, pray until you pray. 
what that means is that you pray long enough and seriously enough in one sitting that you get past the, the unfamiliarity, the weirdness of it, and you get down into the depths of your soul and you talk to God about the things that are actually weighing on your heart and mind. You get past the things that you know you should pray for and you get back to the things that you actually care about. You know what I'm, do you understand what I'm, I'm getting at here? That you pray with, with zeal, with earnestness, and once you, once you kind of get in that zone, you stop watching the clock. It stops feeling like work. You just, you're just praying. It's a lot like just having a deep and meaningful conversation with a close friend. And really, this shouldn't be all that confusing to us, right? I mean, how, it's pretty rare that you meet, even with someone you know really well, and you jump straight into the deep end of the pool. You kind of work your way into it over a couple of minutes or maybe even hours, right? And so, of course, we can't have deep end of the pool prayer all the time, but that kind of praying should be a regular part of our prayer life. So, to wrestle in prayers, pray faithfully, consistently, and strenuously. At this point, you might be feeling <laughs> convicted. Um, prayer is one of those things that's very easy um, to make people feel guilty about. And I'm not trying to do that. Prayer is hard work. This is not easy. It does not come naturally. It is not convenient. So I would not expect all of us to be champions right off the bat. In fact, this is exactly what Paul says in the next verse. In verse 13, he says, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. That working hard is probably not another thing other than prayer. He's probably just referring back to the praying he was talking about in the verse previous. What that means is that Paul is reiterating, he's highlighting to these people the degree of difficulty and exertion Epaphras is willing to go to for them. It's like he's telling them, don't take his physical absence for apathy. He cares about you guys a lot. I can see him day in, day out. He is praying for you. He's telling them, Epaphras loves you. He is, he's serious about his commitment to you guys. Epaphras is praying with all of his heart for those who are close to his heart. He is willing to agonize in prayer, to work hard, to get his hands dirty in a sense for them. And that's exactly what Paul says here, right? It's so he's wrestling in prayer for you, that he's working hard for you. Epaphras is praying for the maturity of the Colossian church. It says that he is praying that they would stand firm and fully assured Mature and fully assured in all the will of God. What does that mean? It sounds nice. The book of Colossians has a uh, couple of major themes. One of them is uh, this, these false teachings that are coming in to tell people um, untruths, lies about Jesus. And so the, the book is combating those with reminding us of the supremacy, the worthiness of Jesus and warning against believing um, falsehoods about him. And so in my opinion, I think what Epaphras is doing here is he is praying that they would stand firm in the truth that they know, that they would embrace the gospel wholeheartedly and that when these false teaching and lies come in, they sound attractive, they sound right, they sound like the good thing to believe in and to do. He's praying that they would not be deceived, 
that they would stand against that, that they would be mature and growing in their faith. He's aware that he probably hasn't told them everything that they need to know. And so he's praying that God, the spirit of the living God, would lead them into truth. He's constantly asking God to finish the work that that he started, not on his own, of course, but he's asking God that they would be mature for their character, for their growth. He's not just praying for their physical provision, for their safety, although I'm certain he's praying for those things as well. So that's who Epaphras is. He's church planter, co-worker, evangelist. The reason he's awesome is because he's a semi-pro amateur wrestler in the ring with the Lord. He's a spiritual luchador, okay? And even though he is not given a ton of page space, we can learn a lot from Epaphras. His example can instruct us and encourage us. And and it's not just the... uh, you know, the characteristics of wrestling and prayer, I think the underlying belief that I, I believe would have driven Epaphras, even though he might have worded it differently, is this. God's kingdom comes through the hard work of prayer. God's kingdom comes through the hard work of prayer. That's how people grow in their faith. That's how people come to know the Lord. That's how people resist sin Prayer is not a nice afterthought, a good to have, but ultimately unnecessary addition to the real work of ministry like preaching or teaching or caring for the poor. Prayer is a crucial part of the work itself. And if you're not praying for the work you're doing, then whatever it is you're doing, it's not gospel work. It's something else. It might be you know, nice and good, but it's, it's not actually advancing God's kingdom. And Epaphras' commitment to prayer, it reflects his understanding of this truth. God's only gonna grant that kind of growth and that maturity in proportion to the prayers of his people. And so, to encourage you, when you and I pray, we are engaging in work that will impact eternity. For whatever reason God sees fit, he has chosen to work through prayer. It's not necessarily us and our prayers in and of themselves, it's because they are, they are, it's moving God in a way. There's this phrase that uh, prayer moves the hand that, that moves the world. And so when we pray, we are actually engaging in um, hard spiritual work. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I am tempted to bring God's kingdom some other way. With good intentions, of course. I don't know if you've ever tried to uh, manipulate a situation, a conversation, or, or a person to, to try to help them believe and, and see. And, and really, you're doing it on your own. Or, or maybe you don't, you're not necessarily trying to manipulate. You're not necessarily doing anything wrong, but, but you're trying to do what the Bible tells you to do on your own. How many of us, and I've been very convicted of this lately, how many of us parents have tried to raise our kids with more discipline than prayer? How, how many of us, how many of you have tried to witness to your coworkers, but you don't really pray for them? You don't really pray that God would break their hearts, that he would open their eyes. We, we've all got great intentions, sure, but we have to pray if we want God to do something. This is spiritual work, and we need spiritual tools. Prayer is to the Christian what ha- a hammer is to a carpenter. It is one of the most often, one of the most basic tools, and without it, We can't do our job. It's one of the things we should be most familiar with. 
Epaphras understood that. But he is not the only one. Epaphras, is, he is cut from the same cloth as many other godly men and women, as Moses, who stood before God for the Israelites. A man named Samuel, who was a leader in Israel back in the Old Testament, and he stood before the congregation of Israel, and he said, far be it from me to sin against, not just you, not to sin against you, but to sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. I would never do that, he says. Epaphras is like Moses. He's like Samuel. He's like Paul. He has clearly learned from Paul. If you read his letters, Paul is constantly praying for the people he's ministering to and, and sharing the good news with. But ultimately, Epaphras is following the footsteps of Christ himself. There are several examples, several um, actual the prayers themselves are written and recorded where Paul is praying for his disciples. He tells Peter, I have prayed for you. In John 17, he prays for the 12, but then he actually prays for you and me, for anyone who would believe through the message of the apostles. But there are times when we're not told the content of his prayers, but simply that Jesus went off to pray. And certainly he was praying for the people he was sharing the gospel with, that he was doing good work with. Jesus, like Epaphras, but to a whole new level, is willing to work hard for us, willing to agonize for us, willing to endure pain for us. And Hebrews says that he is still today, always making intercession for us. Jesus is still praying for you right now. And so when you and I engage in the hard work of prayer for those around us, we are doing one of the most Christ-like things we could ever do for somebody. E.M. Bounds was a um, pastor and a chaplain during the Civil War. And he was a, he's a writer on prayer. He's got some cool books and things. But he says, one of the famous quotes he's got is that, it is a great thing to speak to men for God. But is it, a great, it is a greater thing still to speak to God for men. And you and I, we are called to be men and women of prayer. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. Because that's how God's kingdom comes. We cannot do our mission without it. No matter how many shoeboxes we send, no matter how many homeless families we help, without prayer, ultimately, eternally, we're not having the kind of impact we need to have. So I mentioned at the beginning uh, a man named Hudson Taylor. And he became a man of deep faith, which obviously included his prayer life. He was a man like Epaphras and like his mother. And his son wrote a biography, and at the end of it, he uh, shares this story uh, where Hudson Taylor traveling to the interior unreached peoples in China. He'd be traveling by riverboat or, or by these kind of rural pathways and he would stay at very rustic lodgings along the way, him and his companions. And his son was an adult at this time and uh, these lodgings, the places where they would stay uh, were very basic. They would just have a room where everyone would sleep. It's not like a hotel where you each get your own room and your own bed. It's one large room with some mats on the floor and some maybe curtains or sheets. So you get your own sleeping space, but you can really kind of see and hear everything. And his son tells that every time they would stay at one of these places, two in the morning, like clockwork, 
you'd hear a match being struck. After everyone had gone to sleep, after it was still and quiet, a match being struck and a candle being lit. And from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m., Hudson Taylor would spend the time reading his Bible and praying for his children, for the missionaries that he was caring for, for the Chinese people, and I'm sure many more things. Uh, I share that story uh, for two reasons. I guess three. One is because I just read that biography and I'm a huge fanboy right now and I just think he's the best. Um, <clears throat> I go through phases. Uh, but really, one, to set before us an example. And by example, what I don't mean is, is the length of time or the time of day, but what I mean is that same dedication to prayer, that same convin- convincedness of our helplessness apart from God. It was clear that Hudson Taylor believed he could do nothing, and if he did not pray, God would not work. And I want us to have that same belief that just deep in our hearts that prayer is not this superficial thing, but it is the engine that drives the car. That we would have that kind of commitment to it. So don't get lost in the details of super early in the morning or two hours. Yeah, that's cool, but but more I'm trying to get at the heart of it. So that's the first reason, as an example. The second really doesn't have much to do with Hudson Taylor himself, but really to show you what God would do through the prayers of one woman, from the prayers of his mother, praying all the work that God did in China and around the world through Hudson Taylor was a direct answer to his mother's prayer almost 200 years ago. And the impact is still being felt today. And so I want to encourage you to think with a holy imagination, what might God do if we were to wrestle in prayer that way for our kids? To wrestle in prayer that way for the the schools across the street, for your coworkers, for your family. I mean, just think, this is an example that came to mind. I, I don't know if this is, this is not a promise in scripture, but it, it might happen that maybe you've got a coworker or someone in your life that you've tried to share the gospel with, but they are stone cold resistant. What if, what if God were to get through to them? They quit their job and move to an unreached people group. And three decades from now, a couple hundred people know the gospel because of them. God could do that, and he might. We don't know what he's capable of. We really don't. We saw last week that he is able to do immeasurably more than what we ask or imagine. Your imagination is not a limitation on the God God of the universe. Now, I'm a little nervous though. I'm a little nervous about putting before you people like Hudson Taylor or his mom or Epiphras or whoever Because instead of inspiring and encouraging you, there might be some of you that are feeling a bit of despair. Like, like I am a giant loser compared to these people. It's like I've just shown you Michael Phelps breaking a world record and told you to hop into the pool and do the same, right? So I don't know if that's you, if you're just feeling like, I am so small next to these people. Let me remind you uh, of a few truths. First, they are sinners in need of a savior just like you are. They struggled with doubt, they failed God, they did not believe, and they were not always this way. They had in them the same spirit of God that you have in you, if you're a believer in Christ. 
And so it's, it's not you, it's not them. It's the spirit of God working through them. And so you can be that kind of prayer person, not because you're so great, but because God might work that way through you. Those people are dead now. Their stories might still encourage and inspire us. There is still an impact being felt. But in terms of your circle of influence, your kids, your coworkers, your neighborhood, God didn't put Hudson Taylor there. He put you there. And so my encouragement to you would be a, you be a person of prayer for your circle of influence. So be encouraged. If you pray, God will use you. That's how his kingdom comes. Whether you see it or not, whether you see the immediate results, keep on keeping on. Keep your hand at the plow and pray, pray, pray. Now, we can all start somewhere. So this is the end of our week of prayer um, and I just want to pause for a minute. I, I've been really encouraged. Um, I was, <laughs> I hope this doesn't sound like a backhanded compliment. I didn't expect it to be so well attended. Um, I've been really, really encouraged, and I'm really proud of you guys. I hope that doesn't sound too patronizing or weird. It went well. Um, But my hope is that this would be a catalyst to a deeper life of prayer for you personally and for our church, that we wouldn't just emphasize, you know, prayer's important for the first week of January, and then the rest of the year we got it. Um, My hope is that we would, as a church, be growing as men and women of prayer, that we would um, be kind of on this journey together. So uh, let me just highlight a a few more opportunities going forward for you to grow in prayer, uh, for you to be a part of what's happening in terms of uh, prayer stuff here at the church, and that will help us grow. So uh, first is that every Sunday morning, um, there's a prayer meeting from 8.30 to 9 a.m., and it's down in room 11 downstairs, and you guys are all welcome to that. We pray for the service Uh, We pray for the congregation and the community, 8.30 to 9 every Sunday. Uh, You'd be totally welcome. And if you're a person that, you know, I don't know how to pray in groups or or praying is, I'm new to that or I'm whatever, you can just come and be quiet. That's okay. You can just come and listen and and just kind of soak it in. No one's going to be upset about that. Uh, Next month, we've got a morning of prayer. These are all on your worship folder handouts, by the way. Uh, February 16th, we have a morning of prayer, and then we've got an evening of prayer on May 19th, a time for us just to gather for no other reason just than just pray. Um, so whether it's through the corporate stuff or you in your own individual life growing or in small groups, maybe setting some time aside to intentionally pray, uh, may we be men and women like Epaphras, spiritual luchadors. Let me uh, close. Uh, Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you that you are a God who hears us, who cares about us, who listens to us. God, I ask that you would grow us, that you would, um, that you would teach us to pray. We ask the same thing, just the same as the disciples did. Everyone in this room still has more to learn. We have further to go. And so, Lord, make us men and women of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.